Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. AD and LeBron are two of the top 12, 15 players in the NBA. Y'all won a championship very recently. I would cut off both of my feet <laughs> to win a title, and whatever happened afterwards would be worth it. Hello and welcome to Take Line, a great show today where we'll talk to LA Times sports reporter Kevin Baxter about uh, MLS's new season, which has been uh, moved around because of the World Cup. Uh, Later, Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo Sports joins us with an update on MLB's lockout and whether or not uh, more of the season than is currently been canceled is in jeopardy. But first, we have some some large news, some large and and somewhat sad news to get through. Today is Renee's last show. Renee, speak to the people. Yeah, man. Today's my last show. And I wanted to make sure that we came on here and had one last hurrah with the gangs all here. Um, so proud of what we built. I, we were just mm-hmm. talking about it just before we started rolling, but just crazy proud of what we built here with Take Line. The the listeners, like you guys tap it in all the time. So love Jason, love the whole group, everything yes. that we're building here. It's just as as time moves on and things move on. And I had to as well in a sense of just building and different things. But man, did I love what happened here. Take Line is forever a part of my heart. So <laughs> yes, you guys, you know, this is this is just a, I'll see you in a little bit, not by forever, but yeah, right. this will be our last show. When we went through the process of trying to put this podcast together and we'd done chemistry tests with multiple people. And then we did a chemistry test uh, together. And I was like, man, Renee is good. I was talking about it with Carlton uh, Gillespie is our former producer has now moved on uh, to a writing program with Disney. How's the Carlton? Um, And some other folks, Caroline included. I was like, man, I don't know if we end up landing Renee, but whatever happens, we're going to be seeing her Uh, because it was pretty obvious and it has been pretty obvious, honestly. Well, listen, our chemistry test was like a whole show. So he's yeah. like literally after our chemistry test, people had told us like, you know, that felt like a real show. Like right off the bat, our first test was like, oh, this could work. Like I saw it. I I felt it. I don't know if you did, but it was like oh, it yeah, was for lit sure. from the it was, jump. It was obvious. Well, Renee, it's not goodbye. It's see you later. Perfect. Point. Yes. And we're going to still have a show. So let's get, we're going to have a show today. Let's it's go. It's not going to just be so, let's get right to it. All right. Well, energy shift incoming. Yes. Some scary and anxiety inducing news, uh, as much of the news is at the moment. Um, in Russia, it was recently revealed that Brittany Griner, seven time all star for the Phoenix Mercury, uh, has been. Detained in Russia outside of Moscow at the airport. She was uh, pulled aside for allegedly having uh, vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage. And she has been uh, in Russian custody for a a number of weeks, since February at this point. Greiner was traveling in Russia to play with her team, UMMC Ekaterinburg. Uh, and it's believed that Griner may have been, uh, you know, that this again, that she has probably been in custody for several days. Um, a lot of WNBA players make extra money playing in Russia where the pay mm. is quite good. Um, this is obviously a, a, a scary story in the way that interacts with larger global events, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the sanctions that have been placed on Russia by the EU, uh, the US and NATO partners. And the overall tension between the West and Russia. Uh, Renee, you've played over in Russia. Uh, yeah. You know, Brittany, what, what's your reaction to this story? Well, my reaction really, like my first thoughts was when I was playing in Ashdod, Israel, 
our city got bombed. There was different things going on, you know, like civil unrest in their country. And so the city I was in got bombed and the sirens were going constantly. So when I started to watch what was going on with Ukraine and Russia and you started to hear the sirens, it will actually my snook, my mom, it triggered her because every time she would call me, she would hear those noises in the background. They didn't know what was going on. Um, but they had to evacuate my team. So we went into a shelter in place at first. They had to evacuate my team. Then we went to Tel Aviv because that was a, a, a distance away from Ashdod. And I could just remember the uncomfortableness of being in another country and there's stuff going on with the country and I'm isolated from my family. I'm isolated from everything. And so I remember almost understanding that, okay, I'm not in direct danger. Like maybe yeah. if somewhere I'm close to gets hit, that's dangerous. But I remember feeling very isolated. And that's the only word I can use because in America, it wasn't as big of a topic. It wasn't a lot going on, but in Israel, it was, it was huge news. And so it's just, I can't imagine, I say all that to say, I just can't imagine what BG is going through yeah. because I wasn't necessarily directly a target. I was just in a city that was a target and I felt isolated and I felt like, you know, very uncomfortable about the situation. So for her to be, you know, this is her, it's not even just the city. This is Brittany Griner yes. has been detained. She's the one. I just, man, I just, the first, my first thoughts are her family and her wife, which her wife had, you know, put out a message that was saying, please give them their privacy. So it's kind of tough because, you know, you don't really know what the situation is, but that was just my first thoughts, Jason, off top that like, I, I can remember being in Ashdod, Israel and, and have situations happen and how I just wanted to get home, you know? Yeah. I think the how quiet this has been is the thing that kind of worries me about it. Because you'd think high-profile person uh, like Brittany, potentially like a, a, a case that could make a splash. And then the fact that uh, you mentioned Brittany, Brittany's wife wants people to just kind of not make a big deal of this right now. Um, I'm sure that since February 5th or thereabouts when Brittany last posted to uh, Instagram, people must have known that uh, she was potentially in custody. And so you only have to assume that there are conversations going on behind the scenes at a very tense and a very high level, which is scary, uh, you know, not to besmirch uh, Russian law enforcement and airport security in Moscow, but you have to suspect on some level that this has something to do with the broader conflict that's going on in the world, whether it's Russia seeking to have some kind of leverage over the U.S. saying, hey, you're going to enact sanctions on us, but just know that you've got American citizens here in Moscow, you know, as a as a way to say, here's one of the most notable ones, but you've got other American citizens here in the country. And that's the thing, you know, it's it's the the unknown, I think, is the yeah. scariest part It's the what's going on. Why don't we know more and like what's going to happen next? And we understand and it's the, we're not naive to the situation that's at hand. Like there's there's a whole war going on. The last place you want to be is where the war is, but she's not allowed to leave. And so, you know, I'm hearing so many different things in a sense of just tweets and 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 oh, this sentence carries 10 to 15 years. Oh, this is drug smuggling and all these different things. And it's crazy because it's. It's just like I the unknown. Yes, maybe whatever they're saying, but it's like, okay, but when is there going to be a trial? Where is yeah. she? When are you going to find some answers? That's just, it's the unknown that just really makes me uncomfortable. And, and to that point, there are other people over there and there are other people detained. You know, I've heard that there's multiple Americans. And so that makes me uncomfortable too, because what's the plan for that? What What's going to happen with that? Like, there's so many things like I don't have the answers to. It's just my heart goes out to, to BG and everyone else detained. Yeah, this is not the most important part of this story. But as we spoke about, a lot of WNBA players have played in Russia seasonally. When the season ends here, they'll go over overseas somewhere. Russia is, is a big part of that formula. Are WNBA players who are already, you know, not making the reason they have to play two seasons in a year is because, you know, they're just not 
making the same amount of money as other professional athletes. Is this going to be an economic hit, do you think, for, for some players uh, for in a sport where players are already making less? I mean, let's just take this year where, you know, she was playing for a team, UMMC Ekaterinburg, which is like one of the top teams you can play for. Their bonuses alone, like the players that already, Allie Quigley already left and came home. Courtney Vandesloot, Saint, those were teammates of Brittany Griner. They already left and came home. Um, and the bonuses alone, of which they missed probably this year for EuroLeague and, and for their conference, just that alone could be in the hundreds of thousands easily. Just And I'm talking about, because I'm just going to speak on what I can speak on right now yeah. this year. They probably left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table by leaving before the championship because, you know, the bonus money. So basically everybody left before they could get any bonus money. So just this year alone, players have left hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table. And who knows? Like, it's just that's the end of the thing. Who knows when the war will end? Who knows what the effect for it afterwards will be? Who knows what? Like, that's that's the big thing about this whole situation. It's like. You, we don't have any idea what's when's the end date, when it's going to be normal again. We thought, because I just go back to COVID when we yeah. thought a lot of things were going to be normal <laughs> in, in a certain amount of time. I mean, I thought you would have never thought in 2022 when this stuff happened with COVID, you would have never thought in 2022 that we would be excited that mass mandates are being lifted right now. You know, like we, you would have never thought that we would be in this position. So it's like, I don't, I don't know what to think about the war. I don't know what to think about when it's going to end. And I don't know what to think about how Europe is going to recover in general. And that's, like I said, that the unknown is the scariest things to me. Yeah. One thing that I keep thinking about how this situation with Brittany has really made it real in a different kind of way for a bunch of people. I'm, I'm sure the people that are both fans of the WNBA and know Brittany and are in that community. Yeah. Uh, this is a scary moment. Um, it's a scary moment for everybody who has loved ones and family members in Europe and the Baltic States and uh, is of Ukrainian background. And I just, I guess like, you know, I hope that as I watch the way that like Ukrainian uh, refugees are being welcomed in other countries. I hope that we can find a way to keep that energy for other refugee groups as people yeah. flee war. Because it is, it's been notable how the outpouring of empathy and like feeling for people who deserve it because they're fleeing their homes in a terrifying situation. I hope we can have that for other people um, because it feels like a thing we don't do enough is care definitely. about people who are just running from war. No, definitely. You know, it's crazy because, you, you know, you hear all these sayings like world peace and we need world peace and we need this and that. And now you start to realize why people, why those sayings and things like that existed because when people have been in war before or when it was war times, that was all people wanted. And so now when we're in, you know, a war right now and not necessarily the U.S., it's not on our soil per se, but when there's a war in the world going on that could affect yeah. everyone, it's like you really start to, it really puts things in perspective. I'm telling you, it's like, I start to, th- while you're traveling, while like everything starts to get put into perspective, what you might take for granted beforehand when things just were safe or things felt safer right now, a war going on. It's like, it, things just don't feel so safe. I was talking with some friends last night my girlfriend about like stuff we were doing pre COVID and man, and we were like, man, it felt like simpler, didn't it? It felt like it's a completely different world. And that was still like Trump era stuff was bad. Yeah. But it's wild to think how blind we were to how bad it could get. How good we had it. You don't know how it's crazy because it's like, no, like we're not saying the Trump era presidency was good, but it was, there was civil unrest here in America, big time. There was division big time. And then, but it wasn't a war. Basically it's like, but now it's like, wow, there's a war and there's nuclear talk. And it was like, man, we were, it's, it's like, we were fighting racism, honestly, in 2020. And we were fighting a lot of inequalities and we still are in 2022 fighting those same things and now in 2022 on top of those things that we're fighting there's also a war happening in our world and that just feels uncomfortable 
Well, uh, our thoughts go out to Brittany and everybody yeah. impacted by uh, prayers up for her family, for her invasion of Ukraine and hope everybody gets home safe. It's a tense situation that, and we hope to hear more soon. Okay, so Jason, we did have a lot of on-court basketball action over the weekend. We're talking about LeBron drops 56, a 50-piece mm-hmm. nugget at home against the Warriors. And I think that that needs to be said, like, it was against the Warriors. To snap a four-game losing streak, the Celtics fans rained down. Kyrie sucks chance on the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> he said he was pretty much expecting that for the rest of his life. Uh, Jason Tatum dropped 54. I oh mean, I don't gosh. know what's going on with these 50-piece nuggets. And, of course, we can't forget about Coach K's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. But it was kind of a spoiler it alert. Was a lot, it was, I don't forget, somebody else dropped a 50-piece nugget, too. Julius Randle dropped a $50,000 fine. Yes. <laughs> Lord of mercy. Well, let's just, that's where we'll start then, Jason. Tell us about that 50-piece nugget. Man, this was a painful one for me. So... Knicks played the Suns. No Booker, no uh, Chris Paul. Uh, but the Suns are a very, very good team. Uh, I was talking to my friend uh, Kevin O'Connor, who's a former co-worker, and some other people. We were having dinner. And the Suns remind me of the classic Popovich Spurs teams. They are just so dedicated to getting the best shot all the time. And it doesn't matter who it is that's taking the shot. And yep. so the Knicks are playing them. I'm out to dinner. I'm watching it on my phone. I'm, I'm watching it with uh, Aaron Edwards, who uh, writes for uh, All Caps and is a, a very loud Phoenix Suns fan. And the Knicks <laughs> are up by five. They're up by 12. They're up by three. And the whole time I'm saying, we're going to lose this game. Don't worry about it, Aaron. You're going to win. I know it looks like the Knicks are hanging in, but you know, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose it. We ended up losing the game on a banked three uh, at the buzzer, which – even knowing that we were going to lose the game, I was not ready for us to it's lose still the hurt. game like that. I, was, I didn't hurts. want it to happen like that. You know, either way, I win. If they win, it's great. We, uh, we got to win, which we haven't done in a little bit. If we lose, hey, we get that draft pick. That's where I'm at right now. I just <laughs> want to see good things happen for RJ. I want to see him continue to develop and play well. I want to see the young guys continue to develop and play well. And let's just like, man, let's just run out this season. It's been such a disappointment. It's been yeah, it's absolutely tough. brutal. It's tough because it's like you can't help but be invested. That's what I think. Like you even talked about it. You said, you know, you kind of figured you were going to lose. But when you actually lost in the manner you lost, that's that's how it is. You know, the Hawks have taken someone the chin. We recently got a win in D.C., on a, a close game, but we've been so up and down. The team doesn't know why. The team talks about it like we're trying to figure it out. It feels like we're playing well at times, and then we lose one that I just can't yeah. understand. So with the Hawks, it's the same. It's like I'll never not be invested because it's just if that's the team you're pulling for, whether it's a game you think you might win, lose, draw, you're going to be invested. And so with the Hawks, it's just like I don't know – I'm still waiting on the magic in a sense of I don't count us out until it's like I really think that anything can happen. John Collins has been out for a while for us. And if people don't follow the team closely, he's like our heart. He's the spirit. He's the guy. He's the high energy. When he gets his dunks and when he's on a roll, that's that's the highlights that you'll see on mm-hmm. Sports Center, And that's why we won in a sense of those are momentum plays. And so he's been out for a really, really long time. And we felt it. Uh, you mentioned LeBron James scored 56. Uh, Lakers beat the Warriors. It feels like every Laker win is a diamond pulled from the depths of the <laughs> earth. <laughs> that requires, it requires LeBron James to like uh, mine into the bedrock by himself with a pickaxe. Uh, he, LeBron, it was superhuman stuff from LeBron. It, it's wild to watch him be this good. Some of my Lakers friends are calling this the most disappointing Lakers season in history, which I'm like, y'all just won a championship, like not that long. Two, a couple of years ago. Please calm down. But I mean, what do you think? Is this the most disappointing Lakers season in, in remembered history, recent history? 
I mean, I don't know because I can remember, and again, rest in peace, I can remember when Kobe's teams weren't as great as people mm-hmm. thought they were going to be. And the fans were not happy in a sense of Laker Nation wants, it's like a championship or like or we're the worst team or ever. No, or yeah. absolutely nothing. Yeah. So it's like with Laker Nation and a fan base that is so used to winning. And so that says a lot about the Laker organization, but Laker Nation, if they're not championship contenders, it's the worst season ever for them. You know, my best friend is a Laker fan. Shouts to Lisa. What up? Uh, she <laughs> it's so funny watching her tweets. Like, I don't know what it's like. If you if anybody has a Laker friend, like, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Watching their tweets. You would never know that this is the organization that delivered a championship. I mean, in the recent years, couple years ago, you would just never know it by how they talk. It feels like when you talk to them or see them tweet, it feels like they've been in the dungeon for years. Yeah, just and it no, feels yeah. like they've had to just decades, fight it out. Decades in the wilderness. Support could, this team. How could Palinka do this? This is terrible. I'm like, hold on. Like, eight, again, AD and LeBron are two of the top 12, 15 players in the NBA. Y'all won a championship very recently. I would cut off both of my feet to win a title and whatever happened afterwards would be worth it hello i'm a hawks fan we will take well we i will take a championship and then five years of misery i won't complain for the next five years but again that's why we're talking about laker nation because they are used to being at least a contender a lot of times, like most times out of not, they're used to having a good team. So when there's these years where yeah. there's lulls and it's not good, it's just, I mean, it's a comedy watching Laker fans. That's what I'll say. And uh, yes, to LeBron's point, what in the world? A 37-year-old man taking over the game like that. If you just want to see greatness, it's like that. that is greatness. I don't care what's going on in the Lakers season What's happening with LeBron James and how this team, he seems to have to carry them. That's greatness. I mean, there's five Hall of Famers on that team, including LeBron, right? AD, Melo, Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard. It is insane how, to the degree that he is their best player. Like, it's- Shocking. Not shocking, but shocking. And no shots to AD, who I do wonder if we've seen the peak for him at this point, you know, because- when, it used to be he'd get injured, he'd be, you know, in and out, but he'd come back and would hit it right away. They were like 11 and 10 with him in the lineup this season, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until the last few weeks of him being healthy that he seemed like he was really, like, getting it together defensively. He wasn't all there. It's wild how LeBron is still that guy on a team like that. It's truly insane. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Baxter writes about soccer and other things from the LA Times, where he has worked 24 years, but he's covered five World Cups, three Olympic Games, six World Series, and a Super Bowl, and has contributed to three Pulitzer Prize winning series at the Times and Miami Herald. But we brought him in today to help explain where Major League Soccer is heading. Kevin, welcome to Take Line. Thanks for having me in. Okay, so Charlotte FC broke an attendance record over the weekend with 74,479 fans in attendance for their first ever (laughs) home game. That is wild. It's truly nuts. Like, that's crazy. So what does that say about where the visibility of Major League Soccer is trending? My goodness. Well, one of the things it says is that Major League Soccer is a little bit hypocritical because they're uh, talking about this record crowd in an NFL stadium. But they've also been on record multiple times as saying they don't want to play in NFL stadiums anymore, that they want to have smaller soccer-specific downtown arenas where fans are close to the action. So on one hand, they celebrate the the big crowds in places like 
Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, Seattle, which also plays in the NFL stadium. But then on the other hand, they say they want these smaller, intimate venues. Another problem with Charlotte is, as you mentioned, that was their first game, first ever home game. Um, they're two games into their MLS experience. They haven't won a game yet. So mm-hmm. how many of those 73,000 plus are going to come back to the next game if this team is winless? The coach has already said, taking a look at the roster in preseason, he said, we've got a lot of problems. You know, he said, he basically his, his quote in Spanish was, we're screwed. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's how he talked about his own team in the preseason. Um, so it's great, you know, out of the box to have this big crowd. It's wonderful. It shows that there, it shows that there is a possibility and there is a fan base for this, but the team's going to have to win. And that's what it comes down to. MLS is going to have to put a product on the field because all of us every weekend, we can watch the Premier League. We can watch the Bundesliga. We can watch the best teams yeah. in Europe play. And then we look at MLS and if the quality is not there, we're not going to spend our money there. Uh, Charlotte FC are now the 28th team uh, to join MLS. Uh, the league plans to to hit 30 shortly by, you know, about 2023 with the addition of Sacramento and St. Louis as MLS teams. Um, the expansion has really been remarkable in how it's taken place. And I think one of the things that I'm always interested in when, I, when I'm thinking about MLS and how they've managed to do this is the ownership structure of MLS, which I think is, is, is quite different than any other structure in certainly uh, American pro sports, at least the big ones. Uh, could you tell us about that? Yeah. A little bit about expansion, a little bit about um, um, the ownership structure. It's a single entity structure. That means technically MLS, the league, not the teams, they're in charge of, of all players and player salaries. The players actually sign a contract with the league. They don't sign with the team. So if LA Galaxy decides to sign a certain player, they negotiate the contract, they fit it under the salary structure, but the player signs with the league. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It means, one, that when a player becomes a free agent and Charlotte is bidding against the Galaxy, realistically, it's the league bidding against itself. That's why free agency really has yet to take off in MLS. Um, it, it, what it was is it's a way to try to keep salaries down. The last right. professional soccer league in the U.S., the North American Soccer League, got 35 years ago, they ran into a problem when owners started to pay players what they couldn't afford to pay them, and the league folded. So there's this salary structure thing. But when you talk about expansion, and they've expanded uh, uh, back in their mid-2000s, around 2005-06, the league was like 12 teams. And now they're going to be at 29 next season with St. Louis, and then Las Vegas is going to join. That's going to be 30. Um, there's a number of reasons for that. One, they want the geographical footprint. We're a continent-sized country. We need to have a continent-sized leagues, and there's uh, uh, cities that want leagues. Cities want to get in. Owners want to get in. Some of the some big name owners have come in recently. People like Ken Griffey Jr. and Russell Wilson bought into Seattle. Matthew McConaughey in Austin. Dwayne Wade in Salt Lake. These teams pay up. The, the in the case of Charlotte, the most recent expansion team that started playing, their expansion fee was three hundred and twenty-five million dollars. That's what they paid to join the league. Now you say, well, that's not like baseball teams play more. Yes, they do. But think about the fact that that's two and a half times what MLS gets from its TV contract. So <laughs> what? Yeah, their TV contract per year, it's the last year of this TV contract. Uh, and it's with a number of entities, uh, MLS, Fox, Univision. Yep. They get $90 million. They, so they get $325 million in one check from a team just to say, I'm going to be part of your league. That doesn't include the stadium. That doesn't include the players. Uh, it, it's always been my feeling that MLS, which has not made a profit, they're in their 26th season, the league itself has not made a profit, that these expansion fees are helping subsidize and fund the league. That's why they keep expanding. It's starting to get a little bit unwieldy. And we talked first about the talent level. Well, every time you add a team, that means you add 20 Five, yeah. 30 new players, if the talent level is not conducive to a Premier League, which we know it's not, or a Bundesliga, or attractive product in the field, why do you keep diluting it by adding players who may not be ready for prime time every year? Well, uh, let me quick follow up. One thing I think the expansion has done and the running of the academy systems of various MLS teams is it's managed to uncover at a perhaps at a younger uh, time frame uh, some some talent in the U.S. Uh, that can then move up the system and then join uh, the U.S. national team and get into that system. That said, how long 
can this go on under this same kind of structure? You you said it like it's kind of, not to call it a Ponzi scheme, but like when the expansion fees are such a huge part of the income, how long until that's untenable uh, for there to be another stream of income for this entity? And can it grow much bigger under a single entity structure? Well, you hinted at one solution, which is developing players. FC right. Dallas, their academy has been great. You know, they've yep. had people come through like uh, Ricardo Pepe and and others that they have sold to Europe. And now there is a new mechanism in which they get a cut of the transfer deal um, if for players they develop in their academy. That's one uh, revenue stream that is very lucrative for some teams, not not so much for others. But the idea is if FC Dallas can do it, why can't the Galaxy? Why can't Real Salt Lake? Why can't another team? Um, and the idea is to produce more players for the team, but also to sell them. So that's one revenue stream. Another is TV. We talked a little bit about TV. It looks like the new TV deal will be maybe three to four times uh, the worth of the current one. Okay, so that's still under $400 million a year. You know, the English Premier League loses that in the seat cushions every, yeah. every weekend. <laughs> But that's a start. Uh, and then I think the real inflection point will be 2026 when the World Cup mm -hmm. comes to the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. I, I think um, you look at the demographics of soccer fans. They're very young. They have mm -hmm. a disposable income. They're very computer savvy. Uh, they're sort of continental, if you want. You know, um, it, it, when I think when the World uh, Cup comes, I, I just think that there's going to be sort of a soccer feeding frenzy. And that's when people are, I, I think are going to get into it and they're going to say, Hey, I can't fly to England to watch uh, Manchester city play, but I can go down the street and watch the LA galaxy. And that's pretty close. And there's some players I recognize from the world cup. We've seen that with the women's national team, right. for example. So I think 2026 will be the inflection point. So I'm curious, kind of just to, to piggy on that, you talked about the women's national team, where are they in their league as opposed to how the, the Major League Soccer League is doing? Because to me, it feels like the Women's Soccer League has a handle on things. And we know they just won that big case. But where are they in all of that? That's the U.S. national soccer team. But where are they with, with in the sense of how their league is doing? Well, their league is growing. This year, it'll be 12 teams. It'll be the long, largest they've ever had. Um, salaries are not good. A lot of players uh, wind up jumping to fledgling leagues in Europe, which um, there's a, a league in England now, which is pretty good in Italy. And the league in France is very good. One in, in Spain, um, a, a, a really talented player came out of UCLA a year earlier. Her name is Mia Fischel. She was drafted in the first round in the NWSL draft and wound up going to play in Mexico instead. So the league is over a decade old now. It's set itself up. It's got some some decent owners, but it's coming out of, of a scandal-ridden season where a lot of coaches yeah. were accused of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. um, so the league is retrenching. They have new um, commissioner in charge uh, on an interim basis. They have a lot of new owners, a lot of new coaches. There's a new energy. I talked to Jill Ellis, who used to be coach of the U.S. national team. She won two World Cups with the U.S. national team. She's now president of the fledgling team, the expansion team in San Diego. She looked at this as a reset, that, that they're going to get a chance to restart, start clean. She said it's very important that they expand and they have more teams and that they become a continental-sized league as well. But what she likes about the league is she said, yeah, there's better players, maybe better players in some other leagues. Some of the other leagues may have the Barclays, for example, is a financial supporter of the league in England. But what Jill said is our league is more competitive. Um, you don't see the first and second place team play a game and the scoreline be nine to nothing, as we just saw in in, yeah. in Spain uh, last week. So, and that helps the national team. The national team is still the tip of the spear here because, you know, there are 23 players on the national team. We all recognize the names, Alex Morgan, Christian Press, uh, Julie Ernst. They get filtered out to their club teams. And so you don't really have that star power on a club team. That's not there yet, as uh, some MLS teams have. As we head off into the season, any predictions here? Uh, NYFC uh, won it last season. As a New York Red Bulls fan, that was very hard for me and, and disheartening. And my entire connection with New York Red Bull, in fact, has been broadly painful to me uh, for over uh, 15 years now, though we had some good times when uh, Thierry Henry was there. Any predictions for the season as we move on? Well, I think we know already that Charlotte's not going to be very good, even their coaches right. think they are. Um, I, I really like Seattle. I think Seattle is a really strong team. Oh, by the way, your Red Bulls beat Toronto yesterday, which is supposed to be it. good. So that's good. <laughs> 
Um, I really like Seattle. I think that they have a very good team. They're deep again at Garth Langerway, who is their general manager, is a magician. And he has money to spend and he has a good team already. I think Nashville, moving over from the east where they were a dominant team over to the west, I think they're going to be very good. Uh, I look at the east and I see uh, Bruce Arena, who is a little bit yeah. uh, an interesting case because he had the best team in MLS history last year. and They didn't win the title, but the regular season record was the best in MLS history. Then he's loaded up with a lot of older players he had from his prime years as coach of the Galaxy. And I, I commend the loyalty, but I wonder if all these guys that other teams don't want, um, how they're going to perform with Bruce. So far, they're playing pretty well, but uh, we'll see how, how they do over 34 games. He is Los Angeles Times columnist Kevin Baxter. Kevin, thank you so much for joining Take Line. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Um, continuing developments in MLB labor strife, owners and players uh, failed to reach an agreement last week. Commissioner Rob Manfred has announced that the season will not start on time. Some series have been pushed back. The players have taken the last few days as an opportunity to uh, drop firebombs on Rob Manfred on social media platforms in a constant barrage. Uh, and that means that we could only have the great Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo Sports come to tell us whose fault is it this time? What is going on? And are the owners capable of negotiating good faith literally ever? Hannah Kaiser, welcome to Take Line. All right, you want me to answer this one at a time? You guys are sure, yes, do it. Such yeah. fun <laughs> stuff. The dog's such fun stuff. Uh, whose fault is it this time? Uh, well, the the season being postponed, that's that's Rob Manfred's fault. That's the owner's fault. Uh, can they bargain in good faith? They can. They're making they're making some progress. Sure. Let's go one at a time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, let's go one. At, well, okay. So, uh, take us through kind of like the major sticking points as we speak. There have been some announcements uh, about a new proposal from MLB, which I haven't looked at deeply, but it's it feels like the kind of main sticking points being, uh, I guess the main one being uh, the competitive balance tax, yes. CBT, there and what go. will happen with that, remain off the table at this point, untouched, un unrecognized. So take us through what, what the main sticking points are and, and what's up with the CBT. Yeah, so what's interesting um, at this point in bargaining is that They've pretty much both sides have backed off their various radical proposals. So way back when the lockout first started, um, the union wanted earlier free agency, potentially mm -hmm. earlier arbitration. They wanted to change revenue sharing. The league wanted these. This was a, this was a particular sticking point. The league wanted these really onerous additional taxes um, for teams that go over the luxury tax that would make it into even more of a salary cap than it is now. And at this point in bargaining, so they did make some progress while we were down in Florida bargaining for nine days straight. Both sides have pretty much given up everything um, that isn't just arguing over numbers. So like they, they sort of agreed to a framework, a big, big part of um, the progress that the league has made or that the union has elicited from mm -hmm. the league is that the owners have bought into this idea of a bonus pool for young players. That's a big deal. They're talking about a draft lottery. They're, the union wants six picks. The league wants five picks. So all of this is stuff that they've, actually agreed on that is progress, but they're really far apart on like the literal numbers. Like at this point, yeah. it's essentially just the players asking for a quote unquote raise. You brought up the CBT. It's what we talk about as the luxury tax. Okay. So the CBT is like the quote unquote soft cap in baseball. It doesn't have a hard cap like other sports. It has this soft cap. If you go over a certain amount in payroll, you have to pay these taxes. Um, and it just hasn't 
grown at the same rate as revenue. And if it doesn't grow at the same rate as revenue, then it becomes more and more like a cap over time. Like originally it was just supposed to affect like really extreme runaway spending. But if owners are making more and more money and the cap is only going up a little bit at a time, then it's affecting more and more teams until it's effectively a cap. So I guess if, if people weren't paying close attention, they might say, okay, well, the New York Mets spend like 200 plus million dollars on their squad. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates spend, I don't even know what the number is, but I'm guessing that it's like $200 million less or thereabouts. So why not? Like, yeah, like if the Dodgers and the Mets and all the big uh, marquee teams want to go crazy, then why not redistribute some of that money? What is the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that, like, there isn't a floor. I mean, so right. so teams, so leagues that have caps have floors. Baseball doesn't have a floor. And the union has never wanted to buy into that cap floor system. Um, and so they're constantly having to push back against the CBT becoming more like a cap. You brought up the Mets. And, like, a big part of this is the fact that Steve Cohen clearly is more willing to like ball out than some of the other owners. And now other teams are concerned that they're not going to be able to keep up competitively. Rob Manfred, on one hand, I empathize with him in the sense that, you know, he works for the owners. We all know that every commissioner works for the owners. He was put in there specifically because of labor issues and he's fulfilling that role in the way that the owners want. But man, It feels like the hatred is reaching a new low. He laughed at a press conference recently, and that that became a point of contention for a lot of people who are sad about baseball leaving for players who feel like, is this guy taking this seriously for, you know, arena workers who are like, here's my boss laughing as I'm about to lose my job. And the players have just been teeing off on this guy. So uh, what's going on there with the criticism of Manfred? And like, is any of this unfair to him? Is any of this unfair to him? That's a great question. You know what I thought was unfair to him? People really got at on him for uh, for practicing his golf swing. Yeah, that didn't, that, that didn't that didn't bother me. Deal. I was like, yeah, oh, that's no, not a big deal. To me. We've been yeah. sitting out here for sixteen hours. You got to do yeah, something yeah. to keep yourself awake. That's the one thing I will say was unfair to Rob May. Right? Was it bad <laughs> optics? Kind of like the laugh. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, like I don't care about that as much the laugh was a little worse because it was like (laughs) it was at the press conference announcing that the season wouldn't start on time which is a huge deal it's the first time labor stoppage has affected the regular season since the 94 95 strike i mean that's a huge deal it's i think like players and media and all are sort of correct to criticize Rob for as difficult as his job is. And I think you gave him a fair due because you're right. It's a difficult job, particularly as markets get more and more disparate. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to sort of span. But the idea that like, this is a fight that's been brewing for a really long time. Long time. And, And Rob has always like fashioned himself as a deal maker. He talked about it um, at his press conference at the owners meetings that sort of he's he he oversaw the negotiations for several CBAs that didn't result in a work stoppage. And it's like, well, if that's the case, you kind of have to you have to keep up with what's happening relationship wise between the league and the union. And he just didn't do that. Like it just it's like quite obvious with the way the 2020 played out, 2021 played out. And now this that like. Uh, he didn't do a good job of of keeping that discourse open and uh, making players feel heard. And now they want to be heard even louder. They want to be heard when they're criticizing him. So I think uh, it's it, you know everybody gets compared to to their predecessors, and people really had criticisms of the way that that Bud Seeley did the job. But yes, in did. retrospect, I think people are like, oh wow, but he really loved the game because he had, was a former owner and he was a big fan. And I think that like that helped him on the player side in a mm-hmm. way that like Rob hasn't figured out what his connection to the players is in the same way that Bud had like, I'm a big fan of the Milwaukee Brewers and I made my life's goal to keep them in, in Milwaukee. Um, other issues that have been discussed, some really interesting uh, kind of like evolutions to the game are on the table. Expanding the playoff field feels like the one that's going to happen uh, just from a revenue perspective, uh, but also is one that you hear a lot of uh, baseball fans complain about. Pitch clocks, uh, uh, banning defensive shifts. Is there anything in particular that you think you as a fan think needs to happen? Because one thing is always present in every baseball conversation. 
is a anxiety about the future of baseball, the amount of, you know, I was talking to a friend recently, they're like, man, every, I'm looking on social media and it's just like, baseball sucks, it's boring, it's mid. And it's like the, the amount of criticism that baseball gets on top of the legitimate issues about watchability and an increasingly uh, dense uh, entertainment space, uh, the economics of it, all these things are important issues. But like, uh, what do you think about some of these uh, new tweaks that are on the table? And do you think they'll make an impact in terms of s some of the issues and the real anxieties that baseball fans have about uh, their sport? I mean, I think there's sort of two, there's two categories. So the expanded postseason, and then there's these like on-field rule changes. Right. And you're right, we're definitely getting an expanded postseason. That's going to happen. They're like fighting right happen. now about whether or not it's going to be 12 teams or 14 teams. I think how that affects the sport will be really interesting because like we were talking earlier, what can you do to incentivize teams to actually try? And honestly, like changing the shape of the postseason field is a big part of that. Like I think... I hope that we are able to come up with a way to do the postseason through these CBA talks that does work to both like incentivize teams to try harder without disincentivizing the teams at the top to want to win. So that's interesting. I think that'll be really interesting. I mean, that's something that like, regardless of whether or not you paid attention to the labor aspects of these talks, if you're a baseball fan, you will experience right. that in the very first season, whether that's right. 2022 or 2023. Like you'll, you'll notice that the postseason field is bigger. And then there's these like on-field rule changes. It's right now. So the, the news out of today is that the union, um, as part of a package, so nothing is done until everything is done, but as part of a package signed off on giving the league power to implement pitch clocks, bigger mm -hmm. bases and banning the shift um, as soon as 2023, they uh, rejected or sort of counter-proposed not letting the league implement robo-umps as soon as 2023. So, I mean, I the pitch clock feels like, why not? Like, I yeah, just why like, not? it's the game is too slow. So sure, put, yeah. a, put a F in. And we've pop. known this for years. Yeah. We've talked about yeah. it for a long time. It's been on the table for, for, a, for a period of, long period of time. And like basically everyone in the minor leagues is playing with it because they have yeah. they tested it at every level. So everyone who's coming up is used to it. Pitch clock, 1,000%, put it in there for all I care. I think there should be a batter's box clock. Yeah, Stop I agree. Stop letting them step out. Like keep that even. Bigger bases isn't really going to do much. They hope that it'll either make it safer or make it more likely that guys steal bases. I don't know if that's going to do anything. Banning the shift I don't like. I think all of this is promising i think it's tweaks and it's rules on top of rules when i think that actually the game is due for like a much bigger rethinking of like how can you change the way that they're playing the sport because right now the problem is strikeouts walks and home runs are the only things that yeah. you can really like account for and that's not going to get super affected by the rule changes where do we go next i remember as we were heading into these negotiations uh, a lot of the people that i've been listening to or reading are like well actually you know the two sides are not that far apart and it feels like they're exactly the same amount apart as as when this all started. And it's unclear to me that either side has a great off ramp to come off their position. So where do we go from here? That's a great question. I think so. I went down to Florida thinking there's no way they're going to get a deal right. done. And then by the end of the nine days, I really thought, you know what? This is this is the time I see them taking it seriously. I see them there every day, day in and day out, staying for long hours. They stay till 4 a.m., one day and I thought maybe they really will get a deal done. I feel like they now that they didn't, I agree. I'm kind of like, okay, so we can't go back to talking once a week and exchanging yeah. one proposal on one thing and then waiting for the other side to counter on that one issue. I mean, so what we really need is like another deadline. Um, and people have floated that like possibly the owners, the leagues, league side the owners don't have to give back money for their tv deals until potentially like the end of april so that could work as a pressure point i mean what we're really missing is another pressure point like what we saw is both yeah. sides willing to blow past opening day cancel games and if that's the case then it's tough to figure out like okay so who blinks first you both you both made your point you're willing to lose games over whatever we're at in a difference i think it's like 18 million on the cbt it's like it really does feel like it's like this, the distance between them is getting smaller, and yet the path to a deal doesn't look any more obvious. <laughs> uh, her name is Hannah Kaiser. She's a baseball writer covering the lockout for Yahoo Sports. Hannah, thanks for coming back. Uh, always, a, always a delight to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. 
Someday I'll be here to talk about the new CBA that they've agreed to. (laughs) I'm hopeful that it will happen soon. Yes. buzzer beaters that sound indicates this is the time where stories or things we couldn't get into the show we're going to say it right now jason get us started well first i'm gonna uh my buzzer beater is just uh doing this podcast with you i've learned so much from working with you just about how much harder people can hustle when they're trying to make stuff happen uh and how a person can really put their checkbook their money where their heart and where their mind is in a way that really makes an impact. That is, uh, you know, it's just like not a thing that you really see. People go for the, uh, a lot of times in this, uh, in this world, because this is the way it's set up, people will go for the, the cash grab rather than try and uh, affect change in the world. And you managed to do both, which is really incredible. Uh, and Jason's I can't wait to see- Jason's gonna make me shed a thug tear. What's <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. What is your buzzer reader? Oh, man, kind of along the lines of the same thing. You know, I thank you guys. I remember like, OK, this seems dope. Jason Concepcion. I go stalk your Twitter afterwards <laughs> and I'm like, OK, he's clever. Um, and then, you know, just building and just all the knowledge that you have on literally everything. I don't know why, you know, a little bit about everything. It's crazy. You've been like my Marvel Connect. I don't know much. <laughs> my You've been like my DC Marvel Connect. I'm texting you like, all right, my son's asking this. It's just crazy. <laughs> just to just to see just somebody you were never in my stratosphere before but then now that you are it's so dope so it's been dope just the the run that we've had and I want to thank the listeners the 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 fans of the show because I really felt like we built a community here so yeah my buzzer beater is just a thank you and it's not goodbye it's to see you later you know I'll be on Montgomery and Company every Thursday you guys can tap Woo! in but I'm just really thankful for the connections that we built because, you know, I'll be seeing you, Jason, like next week in Texas. So, Jason, I'll see you soon. But it's, it's not it's not goodbye. It's just, you know, I'll see you guys later. That's it for us. But remember, it's not goodbye. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever Here. you get podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out, folks. Let's go! Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.